0: Section 20 of A Woman's Journey Around the World This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Zainab A Woman's Journey Around the World by Ida Laura Pfeiffer Chapter 20 Persia Part 1 Journey of the Caravan to Ravendas. Arrival at and stay in Ravendas a kurdish family continuation of the journey so bulak oromia american missionaries kochi three generous robbers persian chans and english bungalows arrival at Tabriz. on the eighth of july the caravan guide called for me in the evening his appearance was so unfavorable that i should scarcely have ventured to travel a mile with him had I not been assured that he was a man well known in the place. His dress consisted of rags and tatters, and his countenance resembled that of a robber. Ali, that was his name, told me that the travellers and goods had already gone on, and were encamped in the chan near Nabiunis, where they were to pass the night. The journey was to be commenced before sunrise. I found three men and some pack-horses. The men, Kurds, were no better in appearance than Ali, so that I could not promise myself much gratification from their society. I took up my quarters for the night in the dirty courtyard of the chan, but was too much frightened to sleep well. In the morning, to my astonishment, there were no indication of starting. I asked Ali what was the cause of this, and received as answer that the travellers were not all assembled yet, and that as soon as they were we should proceed immediately. In the expectation that this might soon happen, I dared not leave the miserable shelter to return to Mosul, from which we were only a mile distant. The whole day was spent in waiting. These people did not come until evening. There were five of them. One, who appeared to be a wealthy man, with his two servants, was returning from a pilgrimage. We started at last about ten o'clock at night. After travelling for four hours we crossed several ranges of hills, which form the boundaries of Mesopotamia and Kurdistan. We passed several villages, and reached Sikani on the morning of the 10th of July. Ali did not hold at the village, which lies on the pretty river Kasser, but on the other side of the river, near a couple of deserted, half-ruined huts. I hastened directly into one of the best to make sure of a good place, where the sun did not come through the sieve like roof, which I fortunately found, but the pilgrim who hobbled in directly after me was inclined to dispute its possession. I threw my mantle down and seating myself upon it did not move from the place, well knowing that a Muslim man never uses force towards a woman, not even towards a Christian one. And so it turned out. He left me in my place, and went grumbling away. One of the peddlers behaved himself in a very different manner. When he saw that I had nothing for my meal but dry bread, while he had cucumbers and sweet melons, he gave me a cucumber and a melon, for which he would not take any money. The pilgrim also ate nothing else, although he had only to send one of his servants to the village, to procure either fowls or eggs, etc. The frugality of these people is really astonishing about six in the evening we again proceeded on our journey and for the first three hours went continually uphill the ground was waste and covered with boulders which were full of shallow holes and resembled old lava towards eleven at night we entered on an extensive and beautiful valley upon which the moon threw a brilliant light We purposed halting here and not continuing our journey further during the night, as our caravan was small, and Kurdistan bears a very bad name. The road led over fields of stubble near to stacks of corn. Suddenly, half a dozen powerful fellows sprang out from behind, armed with stout cudgels and seizing our horses' reins, raised their sticks and shouted at us terribly, i felt certain that we had fallen into the hands of a band of robbers and was glad to think that i had left my treasures which i had collected at babylon and neneve together with my papers at Musul. my other effects might have been easily replaced during the time this was passing in my mind one of our party had sprung from his horse and seized one of the men by the breast when he held a loaded pistol before his face and threatened to shoot him this had an immediate effect The waylayers relinquished their hold and soon entered into a peaceful conversation with us and at last indeed showed us a good place to encamp for which however they requested a small bashish which was given to them by a general collection from me as belonging to the female sex they required nothing we passed the night here though not without keeping guard 11th july about four o'clock we were again upon the road, and rode six hours, when we came to the village of Selick. We passed through several villages, which, however, had a very miserable appearance. The huts were built of reeds and straw. The slightest gust of wind would have been sufficient to have blown them over. The dress of the people approaches in character to the Oriental. All were very scantily, dirtily, and raggedly clothed. Near Selic i was surprised by the sight of a fig tree and another large tree in this country trees are rare the mountains surrounding us were naked and barren and in the valleys there grew at most some wild artichokes or beautiful thistles and chrysanthemums the noble pilgrim took upon himself to point out my place under the large tree where the whole party were encamped i gave him no reply and took possession of one of the fig trees Ali, who was far better than he looked, brought me a jug of buttermilk, and altogether today passed off tolerably pleasantly. Several women from the village visited me, and begged for money, but I gave them none, as I knew from experience that I should be attacked by all if I gave to one. I once gave a child a little ring, and not only the other children, but their mothers and grandmothers crowded around me. It cost me some trouble to keep them from forcibly emptying my pockets. Since that time, I was more cautious. One of the women here changed her begging manner into one so threatening that I was hardly glad at not being alone with her. We left this village at four in the afternoon. The pilgrim separated from us, and the caravan then consisted of only five men. In about an hour and a half, we reached an eminence from which we obtained a view of an extensive and well-cultivated hill country. The land in Kurdistan is without comparison better than in Mesopotamia, and the country is consequently better inhabited. We were therefore continually passing through different villages. Before nightfall, we entered the valley which was distinguished for fresh rice plantations, beautiful shrubs and green reeds. A brisk stream murmured at our side. The heat of the day was now succeeded by the evening shadows, and at this moment we had nothing to wish for. This good fortune, however, did not last long. One of the peddlers was suddenly taken so ill that we were obliged to stop. He nearly fell off his mule and remained motionless. We covered him with rugs, but beyond that we could not do anything for him as we had neither medicines nor other remedies with us fortunately he fell asleep after a few hours and we squatted down on the ground and followed his example twelfth july this morning our patient was well again a doubly fortunate circumstance as we had to pass a terribly rocky and stony road we were obliged to scramble up and down the mountainous side of a valley as the valley itself was completely occupied by the irregular course of the River Baden, which wound in a serpentine direction from side to side. Pomegranates and oleanders grew in the valley, wild vines twined themselves round the shrubs and trees, and larches covered the slopes of the hills. After a difficult and dangerous ride of six hours, we came to a ford of the River Baden, our raft turned out to be so small that it would carry only two men and very little baggage and we were in consequence four hours in crossing we stayed for the night not far from the ferry of vikani thirteenth july the road still continued bad we had to ascend an immense pile of mountains far and wide nothing was to be seen but rock and stone although to my astonishment i observed that in many places the stones had been gathered on one side and every little spot of earth made use of a few dwarf ash-trees stood here and there the hall has the character of the country near trieste although there were no villages on the road there appeared to be some near for on many of the heights i observed large burial places especially on those which are overshadowed by ash trees it is the custom throughout kurdistan to establish the burial places on high situations we did not travel more than seven hours to-day and halted in the valley of halifan this little valley has an uncommonly romantic situation it is surrounded by lofty and beautiful mountains which rise with a gentle slope on one side and on the other are steep and precipitous. the whole valley was covered with a rich vegetation the stubble fields were intercepted with tobacco and rice plantation meadows poplar trees surrounded the village which was pleasantly situated at the foot of a hill and a stream of crystalline clearness rushed forcibly out of mountain chars and flowed calmly and still through this delightful valley towards evening numerous herds of cows sheep and goats came from the mountain slopes towards the village we encamped at some distance from the village i could not procure any relish for my dry bread and had no other bed than the hard ground of a stubble field nevertheless i should include this evening among the most agreeable the scenery round compensated me sufficiently FOR THE WANT OF EVERY OTHER ENJOYMENT. 14th July. Ali allowed us to rest only half the night. At two o'clock we were again mounted. A few hundred paces from our resting place was the entrance of a stupendous mountain pass. The space between the sides of the rocks offered only sufficient room for the stream and a narrow pathway. Fortunately, the moon shone up brilliantly otherwise it would have been scarcely possible for the most practiced animal to ascend the narrow and extremely dangerous road between the fallen masses of rocks and rolling stones our hardy animals scrambled like chamois along over the edges of the steep precipices and carried us with safety past the terrible abyss at the bottom of which the stream leaped with frightful roaring from rock to rock this night scene was so terrible and impressive that even my uncultivated companions were involuntarily silent, mute, and noiseless. We went on our way, nothing breaking the death-like silence but the rattling steps of our animals. We had proceeded about an hour in this way. When the moon was suddenly obscured, thick clouds gathered round from all sides, and the darkness soon became so great that we could scarcely see a few steps before us. The foremost men continually struck fire so as to light up the path somewhat by the sparks. But this did not help us much. The animals began to slip and stumble. We were compelled to halt and stood quiet and motionless, one behind the other, as if suddenly changed to stone by magic. Life returned again with daybreak, and we spurred our animals briskly forwards. We were in an indescribably beautiful circle of mountains. At our side lay high cliffs, before and behind hills and mountains crowded over each other, and in the far distance an enormous peak covered with snow completed the romantic picture. This mountain pass is called Alibag. For three hours and a half we continued going uphill without intermission. A short distance before reaching the plateau, we observed in several places small spots of blood, of which nobody at first took much notice, as they might have been caused by a horse or mule that had injured itself. But shortly we came to a place which was entirely covered with large blood spots. This sight filled us with great horror. We looked round anxiously for the cause of these marks, and perceived two human bodies, far down below. One hung scarcely a hundred feet down on the declivity of the rock. The other had rolled further on, and was half buried under a mass of rock. We hastened from this horrible scene as quickly as we could. It was several days before I could free myself from the recollection of it. All the stones on the plateau were full of holes, as if other stones had been stuck in this appearance ceased as we went further up in the valley at the other side of the plateau there were vines which however did not rise far above the ground as they were not supported in any way our road continued on through the mountains we frequently descended but again had to cross several heights and finally came out upon a small alleviated plain which, on both sides was bounded by steep declivities, a village of huts made of branches was situated on this plain, and on the summits of two neighbouring rocks, fortified works were erected. My travelling companions remained behind here, but Ali went with me to the town of Ravenders, which only becomes visible from this side at a very short distance. The situation and view of this town is most charming not indeed from its beauty for it's not more remarkable in that respect than other turkish towns but on account of its peculiarity it is situated upon a steep isolated con surrounded by mountains the houses are built in the form of terraces one above another with flat roofs which are covered with earth stamped down hard so as to resemble narrow straits for which they serve to the upper houses and it is frequently difficult to tell which is straight and which roof on many of the terraces walls formed of the branches of trees are erected behind which the people sleep lower down the hill is surrounded by a fortified wall when i first caught hold of this eagle's nest i feared that i had not much probability of finding any conveniences for travellers and every step further confirmed this opinion Ravendas was one of the most miserable towns I ever saw. Ali conducted me over a beggarly bazaar to a dirty court, which I took for a stable. But was the chan, and after I had dismounted, took me into a dark recess, in which the merchant, to whom I had the letter, sat upon the ground before his stall. This merchant was the most considerable of his class in Ravendas, Mr. Mansour, that was the merchant's name read over the letter which i had brought for full a quarter of an hour although it only consisted of a few lines and then greeted me with a repeated salaam which means you are welcome the good man must have concluded that i had not tasted any food to-day for he very hospitably ordered breakfast immediately consisting of bread sheep's cheese and melons these were eaten altogether. My hunger was so great that I found this plan excellent. I ate without ceasing. The conversation, on the contrary, was not so successful. My host did not understand any European language, nor I any Asiatic language. We made use of signs, and I took pains to make him understand that I was desirous of going on further as soon as possible he promised to do his utmost for me and also explained that he would see to me during my stay he was not married and therefore could not receive me into his own house but would take me to one of his relations after breakfast was ended he took me to a house resembling those of the arabs at kirk except that the courtyard was very small and completely filled with rubbish and puddles under the doorway four ugly women with half ragged clothes were seated upon a dirty rug playing with some little children i was obliged to sit down with them and undergo the usual curious examination and staring for some time i put up with it but then left this charming society and looked about for a place where i could arrange my toilet a little i had not changed my clothes for six days having been exposed at the same time to a heat which was far greater than that under the line, I found a dirty and smutty room, which, in addition to the disgusted excited, made me fear the presence of vermin and scorpions. Of the latter I had a particular dread. I thought at first that they were to be found in every place, as I had read in many descriptions of travels, that they were innumerable in these countries. My fear lessened afterwards, as I did not meet with any even in the dirtiest places in ruins courtyards, or sardabs altogether i only saw two during my whole journey but i suffered a a great deal from other vermin which are only to be removed by burning the clothes and linen i had scarcely taken possession of this beggarly room when one woman after the other came in the women were followed by the children and then by several neighbours who had heard of the arrival of an anglese i was worse off here than under the gateway at last one of the women luckily thought of offering me a bath and i accepted the proposal with great joy hot water was prepared and they made a sign for me to follow them which i did and found myself in the sheep's stall which perhaps had not been cleaned for years or indeed as long as it had stood in this place they pushed two stones together upon which i was to stand and in the presence of the whole company who followed me like my shadow allow myself to be bathed with water i made signs to them to go out as i wished to perform this office myself they did indeed leave me but as misfortune had it the stall had no door and they were all able to look in just the same i passed four days among these people the daytime in dark recesses the evenings and nights upon the terraces I was obliged, like my hostess, constantly to squat down on the ground, and when I wanted to write anything I had to make use of my knees instead of a table. Every day they told me there was a caravan going away tomorrow. Alas, they said so only to quiet me. They saw, perhaps, how disagreeable this day was to me. The women lounged about the whole day, sleeping or chattering, playing with or scolding their children they preferred going about in dirty rags to mending and washing them and they allowed their children to tyrannize over them completely when the latter wanted anything and did not get it they threw themselves on the ground struck about with their hands and feet howling and shrieking until they obtained what they desired they had no fixed meal times during the day but the women and children were constantly eating bread cucumbers melons and buttermilk in the evenings they bathed very much and everyone washed their hands faces and feet which ceremony was frequently repeated three or four times before prayers but there was a great want of real devotion in the middle of the prayers they chattered right and left however there is not much difference with us Notwithstanding all these glaring and gross defects, I found these people very amiable. They willingly permitted themselves to be taught, admitted their failings, and always allowed me to be right when I said or explained anything to them. For example, a little Asha, a girl seven years of age, was very interactable. If she was denied anything, she threw herself on the ground, crying miserably. "'rolling about in the filth and dirt "'and smearing with her dirty hands "'the bread, melons, etc. "'I endeavoured to make the child conscious of her misbehaviour "'and succeeded beyond all expectation. "'I, in fact, imitated her. "'The child looked at me astounded, "'upon which I asked if it had pleased her. "'She perceived the offensiveness of her conduct, "'and I did not often need to imitate her. It was just the same with regard to cleanliness. She immediately washed herself carefully, and then came running joyfully to me, showing her hands and face. During the few days I was here, the child became so fond of me, that she would not leave my side, and sought in every way to make friends with me. I was not less fortunate with the women. I pointed out their torn clothes, brought needles, And thread and taught them how to sew and mend they were pleased with this and i had in a short time a whole sewing school round me how much good might be done here by anyone who knew the language and had the inclination only the parents must be taught at the same time as the children what a fine field is here open to the missionaries if they would accustom themselves to live among these people and with kindness and patience to counteract their failings. As it is, however, they devote at the utmost only a few hours in the day to them, and make their converts come to them instead of visiting them in their own houses. The women and girls in the Asiatic countries receive no education. Those in the towns have little or no employment, and are left to themselves during the whole day. The men go at sunrise to the bazaars, where they have their stalls or workshops, the bigger boys go to school or accompany their fathers and neither return home before sunset. There, the husband expects to find the carpets spread out on the terraces, the supper ready, and the nargili lighted. He then plays a little with the young children, who, however, during meal time are obliged to keep away with their mothers the women in the villages have more liberty and amusement as they generally take part in the housekeeping it is said that the people in the country here are as among ourselves more moral than in the towns the dress worn by the richer Kurds is the oriental that of the common people differs slightly from it the men wear wide linen trousers over them a shirt reaching to the hips and fastened round the waist by a griddle they frequently draw on over the shirt a jacket without sleeves made of coarse brown woolen stuff which is probably cut into strips of hand's breadth and joined together by broad seams others wear trousers of brown stuff instead of white linen they are, however, extremely ugly, as they are really nothing more than a wide, shapeless sack, with two holes through which the feet are put. The coverings for the feet are either enormous shoes of coarsely woven white sheep's wool, ornamented with three tassels, or short, very wide boots of red or yellow leather, reaching only just above the ankle and armed with large plates an inch thick. The head dress is a turban the women wear long white trousers blue shirts which frequently reach half a yard over the feet and are kept up by means of a griddle a large blue mantle hangs from the back of the neck reaching down to the calves they wear the same kind of plaited boots as the men on their heads they wear either black kerchiefs worn in the manner of a turban or a red fez the top of which is very broad and covered with silver coins arranged in the form of a cross. A coloured silk kerchief is wound round the fez, and a wreath made of short black silk fringe is fastened on the top. This wreath looks like a handsome rich fur trimming, and is so arranged that it forms a coronet, leaving the forehead exposed. The hair falls in numerous thin tresses over the shoulders, and a heavy silver chain hangs down behind from the turban. It is impossible to imagine a head-dress that looks better than this. Neither women or girls cover their faces, and I saw here several very beautiful girls with truly noble features. The color of the skin is rather brown, the eyebrows and lashes were black, and their hair dyed reddish brown with henna. Among the lower orders, small nose-rings are sometimes worn here. Mr. Mansour furnished me with a very good table in the morning. I had buttermilk, bread, cucumber, and on one occasion dates roasted in butter, which, however, was not very palatable. In the evening, mutton and rice, or quidly bat of rice, barley, maize, cucumber, onions, and minced meat. I found it all very good, as I was healthy and had a good appetite. The water and buttermilk are taken very cold and a piece of ice is always put into them ice is to be met with in abundance not only in the towns but also in every village it is brought from the mountains in the neighbourhood the people eat large pieces of it with great relish in spite of the endeavour of mr mansoor and his relations to render my stay bearable or perhaps indeed pleasant according to their ideas I was agreeably surprised when Ali came one morning, bringing the news that he had met with a small fright to Soh Bulak, 70 miles, a place which laid on my road. That same evening I went to the caravansary, and the next morning, 18th July, was on the road before sunrise. Mr. Monsour was to the last very hospitable. He not only gave me a letter to a Persian living in Sohbulak, but also provided me with bread for the journey, some melons, cucumbers, and a small butter of sour milk. The latter was particularly acceptable to me, and I would advise every traveler to remember this nourishing and refreshing drink. Sour milk is put into a small bag of thick linen. The watery part filters through and the solid part can be taken out with a spoon and mixed with water as desired in the hot season indeed it dries into cheese on the fourth or fifth day but this also tasted very well and in four or five days you come to places where the supply may be renewed on the first day we passed continually through narrow valleys between lofty mountains the roads were exceedingly bad and we were frequently obliged to cross over high mountains to pass from one valley into another these stony valleys were cultivated as much as was possible we halted at chomarichen nineteenth july the road and country was the same as those of yesterday except that we had more hilly ground to ascend we very nearly reached the height of the first snow region towards evening we came to raid a miserable place with a half ruined citadel. Scarcely had we encamped when several well armed soldiers, headed by an officer, made their appearance. They spoke for some time with Ali, and at last the officer introduced himself to me, took his place at my side, showed me a written paper, and made several signs. As far as I could understand, he meant to say that I was now in Persia and that he wanted to see my passport. However, I did not wish to take it out of my portmanteau, in the presence of all of the villagers, who were already assembled round me, and therefore explained to him that I did not understand him. With this assurance, he left me saying to Ali, What shall I do with her? She does not understand me, and may go on further. Author Note 279 i had picked up enough of the language between here and Mosul to understand this much End of author note. i do not think that i should have been so leniently dealt with in any european state in almost every village a great part of the people immediately assembled round me the reader may imagine what a crowd had gathered together during this discussion to be continually stared at in this way was one of the greatest inconveniences of my journey Sometimes I quite lost my patience when the women and children pressed round me, handling my clothes and head. Although quite alone among them, I gave them several slight blows with my riding whip. This always had the desired effect. The people either went away altogether or drew back in a ring. But here a boy about sixteen was inclined to punish my boldness. As usual, I went to the river to fill my leathern flask to wash my hands and face and bathe my feet this boy slipped after me picked up a stone and threatened to throw it at me i dared not of course evince any fear and i went therefore quite composedly into the river the stone came flying although i observed by the way in which it was thrown that he was more desirous of frightening than hitting me it was not thrown with force, and fell several feet away. After throwing a second and third he went away, perhaps because he saw that I did not heed him. 20th July Immediately outside Raid we had to ascend a rather considerable mountain by a bad and dangerous road, and then came out upon an extensive alleviated plain. We left the high mountains further behind, and headlands were covered with short grass, but there was again a great deficiency of trees we met great numbers of herds of goats and sheep the latter were very large with thick wool and fat tails the wool is said to be particularly good and fine my apprehensions on this journey were not quite groundless as it was seldom that a day passed in an undisturbed quiet to-day for instance a circumstance occurred which frightened me not a little our caravan consisted of six men and fourteen pack animals, we were quietly pursuing our way, when suddenly a troop of mounted men came dashing down upon us at full gallop. There were seven well-armed and five unarmed. The former carried lances, sabers, daggers, knives, pistols, and shields. They were dressed like the common people, with the exception of the turban, which was wound round with a simple Persian shawl. I thought they had been robbers they stopped and surrounded us, and then inquired where we came from, where we were going to, and what kind of goods we carried. When they had received an explanation, they allowed us to go on. At first I could not understand the meaning of the proceeding at all, but as we were stopped several times in the course of the day in a similar manner, I concluded that these men were soldiers on duty. We remained at Koromaduda overnight twenty first july the roads and prospects very similar to those of yesterday we were again stopped by a troop of soldiers and this time the affair seemed likely to be of more consequence ali must have made some incorrect statements they took possession of both of his pack-animals threw their loads down on the ground and one of the soldiers was ordered to lead them away poor ali begged and entreated most pitifully He pointed to me and said that everything belonged to me, and requested that they should have some compassion with me as a helpless woman. The soldier turned to me and asked if it was true. I did not think it advisable to give myself out as their owner, and therefore appeared not to understand him, but assumed an air of great concern and trouble. Ali, indeed, began to cry. Our position would have been most desperate for what could we have done with the goods in this barn and inhabited district without our animals. At last, however, the leader of the party relented, sent after the animals, and returned them to us. Late in the evening we reached the little town of Soh Sohbulak. As it was not fortified, we could still enter. However, the chans and bazaars were all closed, and we had much trouble to get the people of one of the chans to receive us. It was very spacious and handsome. In the centre was a basin of water, and round it small merchant stalls and several niches for sleeping. The people, all men, were mostly retired to rest. Only a few remained at their devotions. Their astonishment may be imagined when they saw a woman enter with a guide. It was too late to give my letter to-day, and I therefore seated myself composedly against the luggage in the belief that i should have to pass the night so but the persian came to me and pointed out a niche to sleep in carried my luggage there and after a little while brought me some bread and water the kindness of this man was the more admirable as it is known how much the mohammedans hate the christians may god reward him for it i was truly in want of this refreshment